ein Roman, wie wenn du an der Spiele Royce of the podcast world, certainly the East German Trabant that barely makes it off the forecourt. This week, my guest is a sound engineer and a producer, Richard Moore. Now, Richard is the man that has put together this um, fantastic new CD, an album called Fred. Uh, Richard and I talked about how the CD came about, where he got the tracks from, um, the rationale for, for choosing the tracks, etc., etc., uh, there's some clips as well for you to listen to, um, and it's a, it's a really good release. So uh, any, as I say, any listeners who are Goons fans, and if you're not, why are you listening to this? You really should seek this out. Um, so I, in the time-honored way, I started my conversation with Richard by asking him um, about his history with the Goons. I was obsessed with sound and records and things from a very early age. And then one day my dad said to me, oh, I've got a record that you might like. And he pulled out uh, a copy of the old 10 inch best of sellers LP. Yep. Mm -hmm. And uh, needless to say, it grabbed my attention. And from that point, I was very interested, particularly in Peter, at least initially in Peter. And it led me down all sorts of different alleys as far as uh, the goons were concerned. I ended up really at quite a young age. I don't know probably 13, 14, being a member of uh, Goon Show Preservation Society and things like that. Mm. And uh, then I've always been a, a, a big Beatles fan. Me too. Uh, yep. I, even, I even went down to, uh, I was lucky enough to go down to Abbey Road uh, when I was only 10 years old to the um, exhibition that they did down there for the, for the uh, 20th anniversary of Love Me Do. Oh and, right, uh, yeah. So okay. that was uh, that was great because they opened Abbey. They were open Abbey Road Studio Two for, yeah. uh, for the public, and they had a film show, and they had lots of um, uh, instruments and equipment and things around there as an exhibition at the same time, which was brilliant. Yes, and of course, whilst I was looking into the Beatles side of things, I uh, came across this name, George Martin, and I thought, "Oh right, that's very interesting." And I learned more about what George did with the Beatles. And then I found out that he also produced Peter. And I thought, hello, 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 what's this? And so I, I looked a lot more at George's career and found that obviously he'd recorded uh, Spike as well and Mike. And uh, yeah, I, I was, you know, I was pulled down that alley. I was uh, obsessed then with a lot of his comedy recordings. 
Sure, sure. And of course, I'm sure you know that um, well, I think less than six months before the release of Love Me Do, uh, George had been Spike's best man. Absolutely. Yes. Mm. Yes. And, um, and, and in, in, in between that period, I think it was around that time, sort of between the, the, that wedding and uh, Martin meeting the Beatles, uh, Bridge on the River Wye was recorded. Yep. So yes. it's all so closely tied up and linked, isn't it? It is, yeah. No, it's and it's it stayed something that's sort of been linked with me um, quite a lot over my career because I ended up working with um, Michelle Monroe and the Matt Monroe Estate um, and working on um, back catalogue and unreleased material of Matt's and ended up uh, the in two thousand and twelve over at the EMI building as it was before EMI collapsed. And uh, there I was sat next to George Martin, oh uh, which God. was quite a thrill, as you can imagine. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> so, yes, yeah, that was that was brilliant experience. And, uh, you know, he signed a few things for me and we had a bit of a chat, which wasn't easy because, bless him, his hearing was pretty shot by that time. Um, and so you'd say something to him and then... Um, Judy, his wife, would then shout it across to him even louder than you'd said it. <laughs> right. Have I got this right? Was it George Martin who coined the nom de plume Fred Flange for Matt Monroe? It was indeed. Yes, absolutely. Right. Okay. Um, okay. That that story is, is uh, uh, interesting, really, because Matt didn't want to do it. Um. He wanted to record. He'd been uh, under contract at Decca and then Fontana, and he, those contracts had come to an end because he hadn't had any hits and whatever. And George had heard these, and he thought it was ideal, obviously, for the Sinatra um, impression. Tribute. That, um, yes, absolutely, that Peter wanted. Mm. So I called him up, and initially... Matt turned it down. He said, I don't want to record as somebody else. I want to record as myself. Mm. Um, and it was actually his wife, Mickey, who um, actually persuaded him to, to, to go and do it. He says, well, you never know. You never know what it might lead to. And of course it, it led to a contract with Parlophone and that was uh, where he sort of hit it big. So, you know, it's. Uh, uh, was it, was it meant to be, what do they call these things? A guide track for sellers? It was. It was because um, I've I've done a lot of research into uh, Matt's recordings for um, various projects, mm. and I've been through all the EMI archives, and yeah, Ron Goodwin actually recorded his uh, backing first, mm -hmm. and then Matt came in and sang over the top of it, with the view that that same backing that he'd used would be used for Peter. But Peter just heard Matt's recording and said, uh, I can't do that. We'll leave him on. <laughs> Say, take me or get you hence, but don't sit on that fence because my suspense is killing me. To love you can't be a crime. Don't keep me swinging all the time. Oh, it's delightful, delightful, delightful. Mm, I wish I could sing like that. So, obviously, you said you were obviously in the presence of greatness when you met George Martin, and, and you were 
did you sort of besiege him with questions or was it more really more subtle than that i what it was difficult really to, because of his his hearing and it, it was a large gathering it was for the release of um michelle's biography of a father right and it was a big gathering there was celebrities and people all over the place and very very noisy so it wasn't really that easy to talk to him I just had a nice a little bit of a chat with him as much as i could but there wasn't an awful lot i could talk to him about simply just because of his hearing difficulties unfortunately mm-hmm. if it's because I, I you've just made me think you know if i had been in your shoes if i had two minutes in the presence yeah. of george martin what question would i ask him indeed yeah it's yeah it's funny isn't it you know all these possible things you could ask um and that was that was half the problem you know you've got this man sat in front of you with who's recorded with so many i know brilliant people over sort of a 50 year period and yet what do you say what do you ask do you know what I'd, I'd have probably done i'd have panicked actually i think <laughs> i'd have panicked and i'd have just blurted out a question about i don't know the band america or yes. someone <laughs> like that <laughs> completely wasted my opportunity yeah. but anyway anyway um <clears throat> Right, so so that's fantastic. So, you've obviously um, been involved with, um, well, with the Matt Munro. What would you call it? The estate. Yes, it? absolutely. Um, yeah. Other, you know, any other sort of projects like that that you've worked on over the years? Um, well, I've worked. Funnily enough, another George Martin connection. Uh, one of the things I worked, I worked with the. Um, uh, Michael Flanders and Donald Swan estate uh, oh, at one point. Wow. Um, I was, I was did a lot of transfers for their private. Uh, archive because Michael was recording on tape from very late forties. He had one of the first tape machines in the country. Okay, um, and so the stuff from I think nineteen forty eight is the earliest stuff that he'd recorded from the radio in nineteen forty eight of a broadcast of some songs from one of their reviews that they were doing. Um, so yes, yeah, so I worked with uh, Leon Berger, who looks after um, Michael and Donald's uh, affairs to a, a large extent mm. on behalf of their family. Um, and so did quite a lot of work for them. And um, that started, that ended up being um, material that was used on a set called Hat Trick, which was lots of basically Flanders and Swan rarities. Um, so there's that side of things. I, have worked with the Roy Budd estate. Roy Budd was um, mm, yeah. a film composer. Yep. Um, and I'm still doing bits and bats with them. Uh, Peter Skellen, his family I'm working with at the moment. There's, these people are mostly not no longer with us, I'm afraid. Um, and I'm, tr- I'm trying uh, to think, sorry, to, I'm trying to think. I, I'm. Was it the film, The Magnificent Seven Deadly Sins that Roy Budd did the soundtrack for? Uh, it sounds yes. I I can't remember all of the films that he did, but that rings a bell. Um, yeah. Certainly, you know uh, things like uh, Get Carter was his first. Oh, of course, mm. um, yeah, it, yeah, and things like Wild Geese and Sea Wolves and stuff like that. It was all all Roy's work, and uh, Roy was in, immensely talented. Um, and it's great shame he died very suddenly, very young yes. of, a, of a brain hemorrhage. And it was, uh, yeah, there was a great loss to the to the film soundtrack world. But I've I've literally, um, oh, I think this week it's been announced another one of the uh, sets that I've worked on. I work with a uh, German company called Caldera that issue soundtracks, mm. and we've um, 
Stefan, who um, helps with the, uh, has been helping Roy's widow, Sylvia, for many, many years, um, has uh, managed to find, even Sylvia had forgotten about it, a uh, a cache of tapes that were hidden in the in a storage unit in the north of England. And uh, suddenly scores that had been lost for years, suddenly we found several. And so there's one coming out from Caldera, Welcome to Blood City, which was a sort of strange sci-fi Western. Uh, It wasn't of the greatest, most well-received film in the world, but uh, it still has has a decent Roy Bad score. And so uh, well worth releasing. So that's coming out very shortly. Good, good, good. So you you get yourself involved with a lot of these these sorts of absolutely, yeah. Objects. I mean, I'm 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 a jobbing sound engineer, and I do transfers and restoration and mastering and all that sort of stuff. So at the moment in my house, I have not only Peter Skellen's archive, I have um, the archive of uh, a famous person who I'm not actually allowed to tell you about at the moment, but he was put it this way. Um, associated with Monty Python. Put it that way. That's as close as I can get um, without mm, actually giving it more okay. away than that. Okay. Um, okay. So uh, I have all their, their archives in the house at the moment, and that's a mixture of quarter-inch tape and oh, the CDs and DATs and ADATs, which are um, multi-track format, and a weird multi-track format from Akai, which is 12-track analog tapes, which... I'm struggling with finding a working machine for at the moment, but I'll get there, you know. So it's it's all interesting stuff, you know. It's uh, it's a bit like um, I, I call it audio archaeology because a lot of this stuff has you've no idea. You'll get a pile of tapes which aren't very well labelled at all, and it's a question of going through them and finding what's there. And sometimes you find absolute gems, you know, which is brilliant to be the first person. It's a privilege, really, to be the first person to have heard these things. Yeah. Yeah, it has many years, you know, I mean, 50, 60 years sometimes. Can you look me in the eye and say you love me? Can you look me in the eye and say you're mine? Although I'm in your arms, dear, when we dance, you never hold me tight. Somehow I miss. That little kiss before we say goodnight. Have you found somebody new to call you sweetheart? You and I got, or you, yeah, we got talking um, because you have been behind this uh, fantastic new release, uh, an album called Fred. Indeed. Which is um, a fantastic CD, which I'm looking at right now. I'm holding in my hot little hand and um it's been it's it's literally only really been officially out what a week or two something like that yeah that's right 10th february it came out so on on, um, on jasmine that's um, right yes and um it's essentially it's it's a lot of formally unreleased or or not being released since original release tracks yeah. from from um, Max Geldray, from uh, Ray Ellington, uh, George Chisholm, Wally Stott, Stroke, Angela Morley. Angela, yeah. um, and also, peppered throughout, there's some um, nice little rarities from from predominantly 
Peter Sellers, but also Milligan and and Harry Seacombe. Yes. Um, so how did this all sort of come together? How did this, you know, what was it that um, made you decide to embark upon this? Well, I've been working for Jasmine uh, for about three or four years. I've done ooh, probably 100 releases for them as in a mastering capacity. But I, I produce, as they, they like to call it producing, when, they, when mm. you compile a, a CD for them. I've been sort of producing stuff for them a little bit as well. And so I, you get the odd idea sometimes and you say, well, what do you think? And this is something I'd had in mind for a while. And I thought, well, I've got to find the right angle. I've got to find the right way to put it together because I'd got copies of, of Peter's acetates and um, various other bits and bats. Um, and I collected a lot of, I'm, I'm a big Ray Ellington collector. I love Ray. Um, mm. I, I collected pretty much everything he recorded i'm um, three discs three discs 378s i can't find but other than that oh really <laughs> i've got everything that he uh he recorded plus um a few odd things transcription discs and things like that that uh yeah um you know that are, are, are quite rare and uh so i i just thought well what could i do to um put together something interesting for listeners that will also attract jasmine to actually want to put it out um and so i started digging around and seeing well what hasn't been out there for a while what's been forgotten about uh and came across quite a lot more than i expected max for instance max gildray recorded some 78s uh for columbia in the early 50s and probably in the early days of the goon show really which had been forgotten i mean his ep goon with the wind had never been reissued either and that was once again with george martin yep and uh so i found that and some stuff with george chisholm and um wally stock material and i thought well actually there's there's quite a nice little uh set here for not just the goons themselves because there wasn't really enough material to just do a, a goon set without repeating the stuff that's been reissued over and over and over again all the decca recordings and peter mm. stuff and so over um so i thought well let's let's look at it the goons and other acts associated with the goon show and see what we can actually come out with that's that's interesting and i put this idea to jasmine who were initially reluctant. You know, is, is there enough of a market with these things? And I can understand that. You know, the, the Goon Show is a long time ago. But um, they'd recently had some success with some other um, British comedy artists of the, the same sort of era. So thought, actually, yeah, it's worth, it's worth a go. <clears throat> to the man in the street or the... Um record company executive whoever that may be yes. i suppose yes the goon show is largely maybe not forgotten but it's certainly not uh, yeah. as, as relevant as maybe it was 40 years ago but or 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 more than that but um but if you know one thing that this podcast i'm not trying to blow smoke up my own backside but <laughs> one one thing this podcast has thrown up or made very clear is that there's there's, there's a huge fan base Still, and and you know, not and we're not just talking, uh, you know, uh, senior citizens. We're talking, mm. you know, people, uh, I guess, our generation and even younger, um, 
who who you look at the you know things like the spike uh, documentary that was on sky arts last year there's yes. a huge still a huge interest for these guys for particularly milligan i think i mean sellers as well milligan is it's i mean there was a twitter poll um hmm. just before christmas who's the greatest or most influential british comedian of all time and and spike seemed to win it hands down really in terms of just you know people people saying yeah he you know we don't we don't necessarily like everything he did but no boil no. it down you know he had the biggest impact he was the most influential yeah, I, I, I suppose really i mean modern comedy as it is all really stems from spike um hmm. so yeah i i can i can totally see that um but you see the problem is with the recording industry is is these days um with downloads or in fact specifically more streaming than anything else the smaller labels struggle mm -hmm. with um looking at uh material that is going to sell well enough for it to be worth their while because licensing fees are not cheap um and so jasmine is perhaps the only label who would do this Right. They uh, they have a very eclectic mix and the, their business model is such that they are able to um, put out discs that might not initially sell very many straight away, but over a long period of time, because they can keep things on catalogue a long, long time. Mm -hmm. It means that things like this, which are going to be interesting to to fans, um, and people who discover the Goon Show across the years, this is still going to be available for quite a while. As long as Jasmine exists, this CD should be in their catalogue and then it should be available for people <clears> to buy, <throat> which, is a, which is a great thing, really. Whereas if it was a major label, well, first of all, the major labels wouldn't touch this with a barge pole these days. But, you know, it'd stay on catalogue for a year, two years. If you were lucky, three and then it'd go and it'd disappear, never to be seen again. Um, because that's just the, that's just the way things are um in the in the music industry these days. Back catalogue is not what it was in the boom of the CD era. Mm. Mm. Unfortunately. Uh, much to the disappointment of people like me, not just from a work point of view, but as a fan. I love archive material. I love stuff that's been sitting in the vaults for years that has been forgotten about. And I, I, I try to do that where I can when I'm working with um, major labels, because I'd say it's I, I work with all sorts of different things. So I'll do some stuff for Universal or I'll do some stuff for Jasmine or Caldera or um, uh, any. I've worked for lots of different labels over the years and uh, it's great when you're given a project and you're given carte blanche to actually get into the archives. But unfortunately those things are very few and far between these days. So Jasmine uh, work in what they call public domain. Um, yeah, I know. Yeah. With public domain material. So basically in 2012 copyright laws up to that point meant that everything up to 50 years old after 50 years it fell out of copyright it changed in 2012 mm. um to 70 years so it now means that everything that was fell out everything that was due to fall out of copyright in 2013 now will only fall out of copyright in 2033 so um 
being public domain, it means that anything that was recorded and released up to the end of 1962, you don't need to license. You're still paying what they call mechanical royalties. So you're paying for the composers and the publishers and that side of things. Um, but you don't have to worry particularly about getting permission from record companies or anything like that. It is where this has all come from. So all of the material on this uh, is pre-1962. Yeah. Um, but it just means that there's no licensing. I've, I run a tiny little record label myself. I license material. Uh, three and a half years I get. That's three years plus a six-month sell-off. And that is the standard for things. So it means that you've got no restrictions on what you can release. It can be absolutely anything from pre-1962. And um, then it can stay in catalogue for forever. And so that's... Um, the way that uh, I mean, it's not just Jasmine. There's quite a few labels out there, but um, Jasmine is the one that tends to care about the content and care about the sound quality. So it's uh, Jasmine was the ideal label to go to with this one, really. Absolutely, and you, you've you've called it an album called Fred, which is obviously a nod to a show called Fred. Indeed, um, and I love the fact. I mean, it's a really the the tracks on this CD. It's a real mixed bag of all sorts. And let's just have a look here. You can go from uh, a George Chisholm medley yes. straight in, straight into um, the, the the famous jump into a dustbin and dance routine <laughs> that uh, Peter and Spike performed on um, the show called Fred in 56. Yes. So, and that's, that's really good sound quality. And was that taken, I presume just taken directly off the, the show soundtrack. Is that right? Absolutely. Yes. It's it's I've collected material f f across the years and I have absolutely no idea where I actually got that copy from, um, but it sounded decent. And so fair enough. I thought, well, I think it's something that people have always enjoyed that song. It's just silly. And we mm -hmm. get to see clips of it, you know, parts of it in um tribute shows and things like it that does, over the it, years, but it does tend to be the one clip that they will yes. use to illustrate a show called fred in documentaries so yeah. i thought well let's use the whole thing for heaven's sake it's about time that it got right there and was heard absolutely um, and so. you've also got the ying tong song which which was used as the uh or the version used as the theme tune yes absolutely <laughs> And that one, that was the version that's on the album is interesting because uh, there's not much, obviously, that survives of a show called Fred. No. And uh, the particular edition that I had just so happens to have that at the beginning of the show. And there's a an odd sequence that happens with Valentine Dial later on um, where they're following somebody around the studio. And they play it again, but they play it from later on in the recording and let it run longer. So I was able to take the this bit from the start and that bit from later on and actually make which is pretty what is pretty much the whole of the recording of that which uh is is nice to have as well i mentioned george 
Chisholm there. Obviously, he's he's there by virtue of the fact that he was not only in the, the part of the Wally Stott Orchestra, but he was also, or the orchestra conducted by. Was it called the Wally Stott Orchestra officially? What was the... um, I suppose it was, but I mean, it was never. It was never. Um... It's never labelled as such, I don't think, no, on the shows. No. It was the orchestra conducted by Wally Stott. Yes, it, it was. Yeah, but Chisholm, Chisholm obviously would appear in pop up in a, a couple of a handful of goon shows. Yes, it's yes. The odd line. Usually a Scotsman somewhere around. Yes, yes almost always. Yes. Um, it's interesting. There's a track called Needle Noodle New. Yes. Um, from uh, um, what's that from? From an LP. That's from a, a Decker LP he did uh, called, I think it's just called Chaz. Yes. And uh, yes, that, I mean, it was just, it was just basically a jazz album, but uh, that's because of that uh, needle noodle new. Uh, and I thought, well, I know where he's got that from. Uh, mm-hmm. That's what attracted me to, to include that particular song. Cause obviously it had goon connotations. If you see what I mean. <laughs> The sellers, the the early sellers, yes, tracks here. So we've got a, a, a what three or four recordings that Sellers himself will have recorded on the disc cutter that he bought from Bob Monkhouse. I'm guessing. Well, c- certainly, uh, look me in the eye. Um, that most definitely will have been recorded on that machine. I would say um, the yes. stuff from the radio. I'm not sure because it's really, really good quality, really well recorded acetates, and so I'm not sure that he would have necessarily done them himself. Especially as a lot of these things went out live. I get the feeling that he employed a recording service somewhere to record oh, these things for him, but I can't say for certain because I've never actually seen the labels for these discs so i can't, I can't actually say for certain but that i wouldn't be at all surprised because they're just they're they're just such good quality i i think it's uh would be i would be surprised if they were done on bob monkhouse's disc cutter no and absolutely you're right of course a lot of them would have gone out live so how the hell could he <laughs> yeah unless peg was doing it for him but well uh, yes i suppose but yeah was she was she technologically minded i don't probably know. not Who knows? um <laughs> can you just can you just explain about look look me in the eye um well it's just a little home demo of, of peter uh on his ukulele um mm-hmm. which obviously we heard a few more things of over the years from uh i haven't told her which obviously there's a version of that on here with him playing the uke with the um uh geraldo geraldo yes and um then there's obviously right up to the seller's market lp where he does his george formby international george formby so he he played the ukulele quite long he was really quite a good ukulele player i think um 
so that uh, as thanks to Mark Cousins, we now know that that actually was written by Ted Ray. And I didn't know that at the time. Uh, I searched high and low to find out um, where that uh, song had come from. But it is actually a, a song written by Ted Ray called Can You Look Me In The Eye? So that's, um, yeah, thanks to Mark for that one. Yeah. Um, so that was 49. So that would have been the time that around the time that uh, Sellers started on Raise a Laugh course i would think so um, yes that's probably <clears throat> where he got it from yeah so wh- where did you because you've got you've got that you've got um like you say a version of i haven't told her she hasn't told me you've got i've got a lovely bunch of coconuts and the the, the welsh one which i'm not going to begin <laughs> yeah <laughs> clan fair pinchy i learned to say the word due to this song <laughs> go on then go on then clan fair and it's all down to this song <laughs> well done i know a place in wales that never never fails to give me the pleasure that i'm yearning for it's clan vile with gingis gogerish windrop with fantasilio go 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 i must admit it may be difficult to say but when you arrive you'll find a treat in store at Clanvaquitingis Gogerish Windrop with Clanticillio Gogogog It hasn't got a history like Holic or a sunset like Landed No by the Sea It hasn't got a fame for leeks and garlic but it's as broad as it's long to me you know, where did you source these recordings from? Well, they've they've been doing the rounds with collectors for a long time in their raw state, to be honest, not not restored in any way. Um, mm. And uh, I did some restoration on some way back. I mean, we're probably talking early 2000s when I, I did some work on some of these and I've had them ever since. And I thought, you know, sooner or later they're going to appear. Somebody's going to issue them somewhere along the line, but nothing ever happened with them. And so I thought, well, you know, this it's there's some such good material amongst these, and there's quite a lot of material. I mean, I'm, I'm, this is the the songs from it really that I've chosen for this. But you know, there's quite a lot of material. Yeah. From uh, Peter's early days, I think there's um, Acetate of New to You, which is actually a soundtrack from a tv program that i believe he was on you know so there's yeah there's lots of lots of material that new, new to you was his first television appearance i, I think. think it was yes yeah um and so peter kept all this material uh, i'm told he kept an awful lot of stuff through his career but not all of it survived i don't no. know how this material um which sort of dates up to the end of the end of the 40s early 50s a lot of this stuff uh, this has survived uh, and uh, the rest of it presumably hasn't about apart from his home movies um why uh there's lots of rumors about why but i've, I've never actually found out what the truth is mm. but they made these acetates made their way to various people including the late barry hill who ran um orca old time radio collectors association oh yes yeah um way back uh i think he started that in the sort of 80s 90s i think he started because he had this humongous collection of um reel to reels and tapes and discs and stuff of of he was a major major collector in fact i believe he had two terrace houses 
and he lived in one and his collection took up the other. <laughs> uh, <laughs> God. And eventually he uh, he found somebody who was uh, sponsored him to ship all of this across to the States. And it was when he was in the States, I believe, that the seller's acetates came into his possession. And he was one of two or three different engineers uh, who uh, made dubs of these. Um, right. Yeah. And uh, yes, I, I just happened to, through various collectors, have a copy of those. And that's why uh, why I've included them here, because I think it was about time after ooh, nearly... What's that? Uh, 70 plus 70 years. years. Yeah, it's Ooh. about time people heard them again, really. I thought, <laughs> you know, because, um, you know, it, it, I, I, I find it fascinating, you know, that early pre-Goon show material, uh, just to see what he was doing, that what his variety act was like. It's very different, obviously, to to what he was like uh, in the Goon show and, uh, and in anything he did after that. There's very little that you'll find in his career that, even sounds even slightly like this. Yeah, I mean, it was the closest thing to him doing stand-up, I suppose, some of these, wasn't it? Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, just, I want, I want to just mention about the Ray Ellington, because there's some very early mm. recordings here from when he was he was recording for the, what, uh, what was it called? Overseas Recorded Broadcasting Services. That's right, yeah. Uh, part of ENSA. Yeah, that's correct, yes. Just tell uh, me about that. Well, that's part of my own collection uh, from one of my, uh, I've got a uh, couple of transcription discs uh, from Showtime. I, d I, I have no idea uh, whether he was a regular on that or it was just a guest that week. Um, but I happen to have found one particular set of acetates for ooh, probably about 15 minutes of worth of the show. I would assume a show probably took up four discs and I got two of them uh, and Ray sings a couple of numbers <clears> on there. Uh, Sweet Lorraine is the one that I've put on the uh, the set. I was also he also sang a version of Is You Is or Is You Ain't My Baby mm. uh, on there too. Um, and uh, yeah, so I think these are probably one of the first um, solo outings for Ray post-war, post his years with Harry Roy, which he was with in the 1930s yeah. uh, as a drummer and occasional vocalist. And um, I think it actually predates the quartet just. Have you heard the story of old Mother Hubbard? I'm sure that everyone knows. Now, you must have heard it. But if you haven't, this is the way it goes. I, I, old Mother Hubbard went to the cupboard to get her dog a bone. When she got there, the cupboard was bare, so the poor little dog, he had none. Now the little dog sat with his head on the mat, so hungry, he wanted to cry. But he wagged his tail and he barked, do blue, looked Hubbard straight in the eye. Dog on, said the little dog, that ain't the thing to do. If you were hungry and you wanted a bone, well, I'd find one someplace for you. So old Mother Hubbard closed up a cupboard and she went out into the street. And there's a, a strange spelling of quartet. On there TV. is, yeah. And it's it's a strange um, record, that one, done for, uh, I can only assume, a mail order. I've never found out much about the label, um, the version of uh, Old Mother Hubbard that's on the, the disc. It was done for Towers of London. 
a record month record of the month club selection um and i've never yeah. even found any other records from towers of london than yes. uh, any, anything um any information from them and i can only assume that as ray was more than likely under contract to parlophone by this time if they'd spelt it quartet without the t and the the extra t and e on the end it would have been against uh the contract of um parlophone but if they spell it a different way then they can <laughs> sort of say it wasn't us <laughs> that's a bit that's a bit like the makers of carry on emmanuel they had to add or subtract an m or an n from emmanuel <laughs> to make sure they weren't contravening any copyright or any rights issues absolutely but, uh, yeah. um also i mean there's some, some great i mean glow glowworm max galdray number glowworm i really really like that with nori now nori parrymore and his orchestra um yes am i right again getting back to george martin was there some animosity between him and george martin do you know about this um i, I mean i've i've read things but i'm not absolutely certain there was animosity as such i think there was an annoyance uh from george and it actually became uh something that i think even david frost took the mickey out of at one point on that was the week that was uh the fact that it seemed like every b-side uh, of every recording put out by Nori Paramore after a particular point had something composed by Nori Paramore on the other side. Um, <laughs> but on the other hand, uh, George occasionally did this, although he wasn't so blatant, blatant. because he used he used the name um, Graham Fisher, I believe, um, was George's um, pseudonym yeah. for when he did it. He didn't do it quite so often as Nori, and Nori was just well, I just put Paramore on it. Um, and uh, I think it sort of rubbed people up the wrong way um, quite a bit uh, within the EMI circles. Yeah. But I don't think there was any particular animosity. I'm, I'm, I don't believe there was any real animosity between any of the, the uh, sort of rival producers, Nori Paramore, Wally Ridley, Norman Newell, all of those um, popular um, producers at... Um, EMI at the time. I think it was a sort of friendly rivalry more than anything else. I don't believe there was any animosity. And I know um, uh, Helen Shapiro and her husband a little bit and she uh, speaks glowingly of Nori as a, as a really lovely man. So, you know, so I can't I can't see that there was really anything anything mm. really dreadful going on. But no, that's interesting. Uh, those, I, those Columbia recordings I think had been forgotten about uh he did four sides for columbia of which i think i've included three on the set yeah um, and uh yeah they're, they're they're very much in the same vein as uh the goon show material oh i i do have a little bit of a soft spot for harmonica rag just because of the vocal um mm. arrangement in that where they uh the vocalists actually make the sound of a harmonica which i think is a quite quite a clever thing yes yeah absolutely and there's a there's a, a sprinkling of Spike. I mean, we, we obviously we have Spike with with Peter doing the uh, yes Ying Tong song and dustbin dance. But you've got um, walking my baby back home, which was a real curio. Yes, yes. Um, there was a uh, a series 
for made just for BBC transcription services. So it wasn't broadcast in this country. It was mm -hmm. made for sale overseas. And they made quite a lot of these shows over a three or four year period, the BBC. Um, and at one point, the resident uh, singer on the show was Dickie Valentine and Spike was a guest. Uh, Ray has been a guest on there. I think there's a, um, a star show uh, track from Ray on the uh, set as well. Um, so lots of people from the time, even people like Cliff Richard and whatever were on it. And it was with the uh, Ted Heath Orchestra with the resident band. Um, and uh, yeah, as you can imagine, the spike doesn't take things particularly seriously. No. And a sort of hijacks Dickie Valentine's song. <laughs> we stop for a while and then she gives me a smile and then she snuggles her head to my chest. We start to pet, and that's what I get. After I kind of straighten my tie, she has to borrow my comb. He's bald. One kiss, then we continue again. Walking the baby back home. Walking the back home. Walking the baby, baby back, back home. Walking my baby back home. Walking my baby back home. Take those crazy hands off me. <laughs> You know, I thought Spike doesn't sing anything else. And I was trying to say keep with the, with the musical theme with this rather than uh, putting anything spoken word in. So Spike doesn't sing anything else in the uh, in, in that particular edition of the Star Show. He mucks around, um, does this silly sketch in it, but he doesn't actually sing anything other than that. But I thought it was uh, just so daft that it really ought to be included. And you've included uh, an alternative take of wormwood scrubs tango yeah yeah I, i've called it alternative take it's i suppose you could say it's partially alternative um what uh george has done with the final single he's taken this take and he's taken another and there's an edit part the way through um where the final the, the single that was released jumps to a different take halfway through uh, so this is the full version the full take but it's before any of the sound effects were put on it there's a bit of an edit at the very end which has material that's not on the single as well so it, it it's an alternate in the fact that um it's different yeah. to uh to the released single uh and it's in stereo which of course the original single wasn't mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and and <clears throat> there's a there's a showing from harry seekham right at the beginning of the CD. Absolutely. Well, I couldn't leave Harry out. So what can you do to include Harry in this? And so Falling in Love with Love was a song he often used as a warm up for the Goon Show. So I thought it was the ideal thing to sort of start the album with as a warm up. Perfect. And and, and the last Goon Show of all as well. He, Indeed. Yes. With uh, accompaniment by Sellers. Certainly. I remember Sellers on the timpani. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. Uh, and and lovely as we as we get to the end of the cd you've got um a handful of well there's there's two really great i mean i, I love the theme tune from two-way stretch yes which yeah, is absolutely. a classic uh and and you've also got the l saxon uh, uh vocals on uh, i'm all right jack the i'm all right jack theme tune <clears throat> we covered that on the podcast last year that film mm. 
And I, I said on the on the podcast to my guest, Marilyn O'Rourke, I said, uh, you know, at the time that must have like that kind of raucous rock and roll. Yes, theme yeah, must have uh, blown people's socks off. Absolutely, you know, is it's it's such a catchy thing as well, which is why I wanted to include it. I've I'd had a little bit of an idea of um, looking at theme tunes for Sellers' early films. And I'd found quite a lot of them, but to be honest, they didn't do an awful lot for me as as pieces of music. But I'm all right, Jack, and two-way stretch. I yes. thought, well, they're, they're two goodies, and I think it's uh, it'd be nice to find a spot for those at the very end. Yep, yep. And, and of course, you've got um, the Lucky Strike, the uh, one of the closing yes. theme tunes from The Goon yes. Show, um, along with Crazy Rhythm. Yes, absolutely. Um, that's from the Goon with the Wind, George Martin produced EP. Mm, mm. Um, once again, something that's been neglected by uh, compilers for a very, very long time. <laughs> Lucky Strike always intrigues me mm. because, uh, again, we've covered this on the podcast previously, but Lucky Strike replaces Goon, Goon's Gallop yeah. as, as a theme tune, but it replaces it halfway through a series. It 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 kicks in. You first hear Lucky Strike on the um, <clears throat> Jet Propel Guided Naffy, which I think is a 19th episode of Series 6. Um, and I just, I'd love to know the rationale behind that. I'd love to know why they decided yeah, to do that. And it's an interesting uh, writing credit as well. The fact that Ray Ellington Ray. is credited mm. as a part writer in that. So maybe it came out of some form of um, improvisation or jam. Um, maybe. At a recording. I don't know. Um, do we yeah. know who Laurie Diniz is? I don't know off the top of my head who Laurie Diniz happens to be the third writer but um uh certainly the fact that ray is is named as a writer it may well be that there was some form of jam between musicians at uh at a goon show recording and that sort of came out of it i don't know maybe yeah 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 and then the the, the, the cd is rounded off with a couple of i mean i listened to them both and they're instantly recognizable not maybe yes. a meet not when you first <laughs> not, not, not when they start necessarily but you very quickly realize that they are um for example you're dancing on my heart which is regularly a piece of music regularly featured yes in, in the goon show um and uh, and i'll try and pronounce this uh, i don't have the french but uh, uh sous de paris <laughs> um yes <laughs> which, um which uh I'll, I'll i'll play clips so people will recognize what i'm mm. talking about but uh they, they immediately bring the goon show to mind when you hear those bits of music <laughs>
there's no real sort of soundtrack to the goons um as far as you know all the music that was used in it but you know these two were reused so regularly i thought well they they sort of fit so i thought Absolutely. well it, I, I wanted to sort of bring everything that i possibly could to the table to this so obviously all the uh, related people but related music as well sure sure and as i said i mean you've got so we've discussed Ellington Geldray, Chisholm, Sellers, Milligan, Seacom, film soundtracks as well. Mm. And, and and there's there's some some Wally Stott orchestra as well, Mr. Lucky. Um yep. so in total you're looking at um what 34 tracks. 34 tracks, yeah. Um and it, and it, but it's not, you know, it's 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 all on one CD, it's not a double CD because they're only yeah. short, aren't they? Yes, they are, they are short, but we you know we fill up as close to the sort of eighty minute limit yep. that we possibly could to try and make it value for money, as it were. And uh, yeah, I just think it's an, an interesting and eclectic collection of stuff that a lot of Goon Show fans aren't that familiar with. Well, I, as you know, I I um, tweeted about it and um, yes, I thank you. posted on Facebook about it, and there was amazing response to it. Just people saying, "Oh my god, I must order this." You know, they looked at the track listing and then. Um, immediate take up from it, and and it's absolutely. I mean, what is it? Something like eight ninety nine? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. It's snip, and uh, <laughs> any self respecting Goon Show fan, or or even I'd say, you know, any comedy fan, any jazz fan, even um, or early British jazz, would you say? Mm, um, absolutely, yes. Uh, um, or big band music would would you know you, you need to get your hands on this so it's uh as it's, it's called an album called fred and it's on jasmine just jasmine or jasmine records just, just google jasmine records you should be able to find it quite easily mm-hmm. excellent and and what so you you've obviously you've touched on you you've got other things you're working on at the moment um yes any yes. future plans anything you'd love to to work on that you haven't sort of realized yet there's all sorts of stuff i'd love to work on um it's it's picking something out would be difficult Mm. uh i i'd love to do another ray ellington set i helped i didn't compile the uh, other one that i i did one for um i restored one for jasmine uh, a couple of years back um and that (laughs) all of that material is actually from my collection um and uh, I would love to do a follow-up because there's still quite a lot of race um, recordings that haven't ever been reissued. There's particularly his first two Columbia discs, which I'm still searching for. <laughs> have, you, have you been in contact at all with Lance, with his son? Um, in a roundabout way, uh, mm. we keep saying that we must have a chat at some point, um, but I never have actually managed to do that yet because he is a mutual friend of Michelle Monroe. Oh, okay. because uh, she knew Ray, Matt knew Ray well, and she knew Ray, and in fact, Ray sang at her twenty-first birthday party. You know, so <laughs> wow. <laughs> wow, yes, quite. <laughs> um, so uh, yeah, one of these days I will get to have a chat with Lance, um, and I would. I mean. I, I would hope that, you know, he's got some rare, rare stuff that I would love to be able to hear. Um, you just don't know, I suppose, what people people have got squirreled away. Um, but sure. say, yes, I, I would really like to to get a uh, another Railington set out. Um, I have actually done a Harry set for Jasmine um, containing some really early Harry 
Seekham material, mm-hmm. uh, which may not be of major interest to Goon fans, perhaps, but you know, you never know. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, so I, I do love comedy material. So yeah, I, I noticed on Jasmine, Jasmine have got um, there's a there's a Cribbins collection. There's a that was me. Houston, all <laughs> oh, right, okay, yep, and even a Sellers. I didn't, I've not seen yes. that Sellers one. What's what's on the Sellers one? Is that just it's, usual? It's a it's a cross reference of of. Um, everything i think from yakar up to right um uh peter and sophia i would think you know just a sort of a general yeah. overview of that and say i didn't i wasn't involved with that particular uh set so i can't tell you exactly what's on it but um yeah i did the i did the bernard cribbins uh i've always once again it's another george martin um, of course of course, of course and yeah. uh actually it, it was just strange really that the pretty much the day that was announced as a release was the day that we lost him. Unfortunately, it was just, it's just this funny things that happen in that way in life, isn't it really? But there you go. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I should just actually give a shout out to uh, a guy called Dave Hudson at this point, um, because when I was putting the album together, I was really stuck for a title and I was going through all sorts of different things and I couldn't make my mind up. So I actually went to the Goon Show Facebook page and said, look, guys, this is what I'm doing. Have you got any ideas? And it was a guy named Dave Hudson. And if you're listening, Dave, thank you very much. Uh, he came up with a title and album called Fred. Brilliant. Well done, Dave. Well done, Dave. Oh, last thing on that, the artwork for the CD. Where did yes. you, I've, I've, I've seen that. I've seen those caricatures before. Where? How did you sort of... I actually don't know because that's in the hands of the art department at Jasmine who um, looked into that. They, they, they give me some options. Yeah. And they, uh, they gave me an option with photographs of all three of them and uh, one with the, the drawn uh, caricatures. And I much preferred the caricatures. So they went with that one, but I had absolutely no idea where they come from. I'm afraid. Sure. Okay. Okay. Well, listen, Richard, it's been brilliant speaking to you. Thank you so Thank much. You. It's, 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 it's a it's a marvelous CD, and I'm sure that everyone listening to this, uh, if they haven't already, will be uh, rushing out to our price or ordering it online, more likely. And um, more than likely these days, yes. And more power to elbow for future uh, projects and endeavors. Thank you very much. And yes. um, and we may speak again in the future. Absolutely. Thank you. Thanks again to Richard. Uh, thanks for listening. Uh, as always, please follow the uh, Goon Show Preservation Society there on Twitter at the GSPS. Um, join the Facebook group as well and um, and join the society. It, it doesn't cost you very much at all. And you get access to the mighty Encyclopedia Goonicus. OK, uh, also, please follow me on Twitter. It's uh, at Goon Show Pod. Uh, there is a Goon Pod Facebook group as well. Please seek that out. Just type Goon Pod into Facebook. And um, as as I have been saying, uh, I am planning a mailbag show in the near future. So any comments, suggestions, requests, anything to do with the show or the goon show or the goons, Sellers, Milligan, anything at all, um, I will attempt to answer on the show and um, play uh, messages and voice notes and all the rest of it if um, if you want to uh, contribute. So either message me on Twitter, uh, on Facebook or email me tyler.adams1974 at gmail.com Thanks for listening. See you soon. Bye.